I said happy Father's Day to you all. Sorry about that. With the mic off, that doesn't help at all, does it? This morning we continue in our summer series, uh, The Message in the Movies. Now the idea behind this series is that uh, movies are kind of the poetry of the day. They're almost the, the uh, common language among people. Have you seen is a common question, right? And we always have something to talk about when we've seen the same movie. And so we're hoping that with some of your friends that may not go to church that often or may not even go to church at all, that you might have a movie in common or you might come and see one of these free movies that we're showing on a Friday night and they might wonder what on earth kind of message could a pastor get out of a, 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 a movie like that? They're, they're secular movies. They're not Christian movies. Uh, they're just secular movies, but they have life elements about them that we can then comment on here on Sunday morning. So, so that's what we're doing. And this last Friday night, we saw After Earth. How many of you saw, saw that with us this last Friday night? And uh, it, it's, it's a great little movie. Uh, the critics don't think much of it. Um, but uh, I think it's a great movie. Um, obviously, I picked it. But uh, uh, After Earth is the name of it. And as you might guess, since it's called After Earth, it's a futuristic uh, kind of film. It's After Earth has been abandoned because of our neglect of the planet. Caused by, and it's caused this planetary evacuation. Everyone has left Earth. It's become a toxic, quarantined planet. And, and now humanity has find, colonized other places in the galaxy. And, uh, but when they went to those other places in the galaxy, it was not as though they were unopposed. And, and some of those places, they ran into a, a fierce alien called an Ursa. An Ursa, which looks like a... a kind of a giant cockroach, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, pincers and uh, fierce and, you know, imagine a cockroach the size of a tank, you know, that, that kind of thing, uh, r- running around. And, and, and Ursa are, are weird animals. They, they're almost blind. They can't see as we see, but they have a super sense about smell. And in particular, uh, they're said to be able to smell fear, the pheromones that a a human body would give off when it becomes fearful, uh, then they can find you, right? And, And so it's key to their search and destroy kind of strategy first to scare them out of you, right? And then in your fear, now they can see you to really take you out, right? And Ursa. And uh, on these planets, the, the, the uh, people were being wiped out until there arose a champion among them. And, and that champion turned out to be a gentleman named Cypher. He was one of the rangers that was defending uh, the colonies. And uh, he, he discovered through a circumstance that if, if he could kind of turn off his fear, that he would become completely invisible to these Ursa. And then he could take them out, you know. So he becomes this ninja warrior type of fearlessness that is so 
mastered his own fear as something that is not real but only imagined. Danger, he says, is real, but but fear, that's something of your mind. That's looking into the future and imagining that that, that that's something that you can control. You you choose to be fearful. And he learns to master that particular emotion. Uh, and so he learns to ghost, they call it. And he's been off fighting these Ursa not at home with his family. He's, he's been involved in the war, the, the leader, the champion, teaching others how to ghost and to overcome the Ursa. And finally, he comes back home. And when he comes back home, the, the young boy that he left behind, Qatar, his son, has now become almost a man. In fact, he's training to be a ranger himself. He's been a cadet And he's trained in such a way that he has outshined all the other cadets that are trying to become rangers. He surpassed his own father's uh, records in terms of training accomplishments. And yet, he's not granted passage to becoming a ranger. He's deferred. And, And this all... On the very day his father is returning from being gone so long, he so wanted to be able to tell his father that he was now a ranger, that he could be proud of him. But there's something more working here. As the Ursa continued to um, terrorize their planet, in, in Qatar's memory is a time when he was a small boy and he was at home only with his older sister, and an Ursa attacked the house. And she very wisely defended her kid brother. Uh, there, there was a terrarium inside. Maybe you'll see flashes of this in his memory as you go back. There, there was a terrarium inside the house. You know, a little glass bubble with little things growing inside. And she took off the glass lid and put her brother inside and put the lid on top to make a smell-proof barrier around her brother. And then she took on the Ursa, having given him an order, no matter what you do and no matter what happens, do not come out. Do you understand? She was in a military family. This is an order, right? And so in his horror, he remains inside that little box as he watches the Ursa attack and kill his sister. And, And so he wonders... Should I have stayed inside? She gave me an order. If I'd come out, I would have surely died. But should I have tried? Could I have made a difference? Why couldn't I be like my dad? Why couldn't I ghost? What would my dad think of me now? Am I a coward? And haunted by these questions that he has not found an answer to, it becomes a drive to achieve. You know what I'm talking about? It forces him to overachieve even beyond the other cadets. They're out for just a training run one afternoon. You know, just nice little rhythm to it. Just taking in the afternoon run. And, and Qatar can't stand it. All of a sudden he comes from the ranks and sprints out in front of everybody else. Just runs off and leaves them. And as he does, his commanding officer says, This is just a run, cadet. It is not a race. But when you're driven by questions about your own identity, everything can become a race. Everything can become a moment where you're either proving yourself or you're not. 
every day you live with these kind of questions. And now the father has come home. And there's a wise woman in the house. Cypher's wife and Qatar's mom. And she, in her loving wisdom, alerts these two men in her life that there's a mission, a very important mission. Maybe their most important mission of all. And it's time it got started. Here's the scene. He's reaching for you. Don't get me wrong. I respect everything you've done. But you have a son in the other room that you do not know. He blames himself for what happened to Senshi. He thinks it's his fault. He's drowning. And he does not need a commanding officer. He needs a father. thing it is for him to see the respect that is shown his father. His father's as big as life and how much he wishes that his father would recognize his manhood in the same way. He's in awe of it. But what this young man needs is not a commander. What does he need? He needs a father. He needs a father. We all do. Uh, Kids have a hole in their soul in the shape of their dad. And if a father is unwilling or unable to fill that hole, it can leave a wound that is not easily healed. Roland Warren. Or a Christian author has said this, John Eldridge, 
Every boy in his journey to become a man takes an arrow in the center of his heart, in the place of his strength. Because the wound is rarely discussed and even more rarely healed, every man carries a wound. And the wound is nearly always given by his father. What powerful things uh, to say. And I, and I think they're largely true. John Eldridge works with men and has for 20 or 30 years. He, he comes by his knowledge of this father wound both personally and in ministering to many men. Why is that? Why is a father wound often something so powerful in our lives? I think first of all it's because God designed fathers to have an influence in our lives. That, that, that's woven into our nature. In Deuteronomy 6, it's not the mothers but the fathers that, that God gives the task of shaping the family and shaping other personalities to know the God that God is. God's given uh, fathers a, a role in the fabric of, uh, of our families, of who we are, that's, that's powerful, sometimes even more powerful than a father realizes. Oftentimes, as dads, we still feel like little boys just with more years on us growing up. And oftentimes, we don't even realize how powerful our influence is in our family, especially among our kids, both the things we say and don't say. The things we do and the things that we don't do. In Colossians 3.18, a scripture that we looked at last week, it warns particularly fathers. It doesn't say this in scripture to, to moms. It says it to dads. It says, dads, be careful not to exasperate your kids. Now, I, I don't know, you know, exasperate, that doesn't sound good. I actually looked it up, okay? Exactly. You know what that means? That means don't provoke your kids to anger. Don't, don't push them over the edge, right? Don't exasperate your, your, your kids. Is that the right word? Okay, some people are looking at me like that. Okay, uh, exasperate. Yeah, and, and, and here's the idea. Uh, most, most dads... When we cast a word, when we give a glance, uh, when we say or do anything, we see it as tossing a pebble on a still pond. Little ripples, right? Little ripples. But God, in the heart of those who are on the receiving end of that fathering, do not see a pebble, they see a boulder. And when it lands on the still ponds of their hearts, it produces a quaking effect. Right? Fathers, be careful. Be careful with your pebble. Right? Because your words, your opinion, your recognition, your validation holds power in your kids' lives uh, in an inordinate, God-designed, leveraged kind of way. It's almost as if you're carrying a big gun, right? Be careful. Be careful with it. Because in 
our roles as fathers, pebbles can become boulders. And, and missing a father's blessing can be devastating. Not being validated by our dads. You ask a man when he became a man. And you'll get many different answers. But the one that most men's hearts long for is I became a man the day my dad told me I was a man. The day he particularly spoke that validation to me. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17 uh, recalls the tragedy of Esau having not received his father's blessing. Remember the story Esau and Jacob? He didn't receive the blessing. And it says, though he longed for it through tears. Jacob, on the other hand, did receive the blessing. And he goes on to individually bless with a special customized blessing each and every one of his 12 sons. It's a beautiful thing in the Old Testament as he blesses them, affirms them. Wow. Uh, Things are moving up here. Um, Each of them with a customized blessing. And, and, and when, when we don't, uh, Gary Smalley says, when, when we don't get our Father's blessing, there, there can be a, a deep void left within us that, that consciously and subconsciously we, we find ourselves working to somehow fill and overcome and, and compensate for. Most of us recognize this guy, William J. Clinton. President Clinton, he says this, My father left me with the feeling that I had to live for two people. His father died early is what I understand. And so, so his father was absent. It's not like he could do anything wrong, right? Uh, that I had to live for two people and that if I did it well enough, somehow I could make up for the life he should have had. And his memory infused in me at a young age at a younger age than most, with a sense of my own mortality. The knowledge that I too could die young drove me both to try to drain the most out of every moment of life and to get on with the next big challenge. Even when I wasn't sure where I was going, I was always in a hurry. Does that make sense? Uh, Bill Clinton might be a mystery still to most of us. But there's part of the puzzle right there. Even as adults, uh, father wounds uh, can shape who we are, can drive our behavior. Some of us lead our sales team because we're still trying to prove something primarily to our dads. Some of us have gotten degree after degree after degree. Some of us, even what we bring home is never quite enough. There always needs to be more. We're searching for that kind of validation that seemed to be our fathers to give, but somehow we missed. Here's another coach, uh, Jim Valvano, a very successful coach. What was he? Oh, some of you know where he coached. My, My father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. Now that's the blessing. Whether or not you do it in a ceremony like Joseph did or not may not matter that much. But, but we long to know that our fathers believe in us. Here, here's another thing I found. This person knows what's most important. This father gets it. My father used to play with my brother and me in the yard. Mother would come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. 
We're not raising grass, Dad would reply. We're raising boys. We're not raising grass. We're raising boys. That father got it right. That father understood the power of his own influence. And because of what he could mean to his boys, his, his, the grass didn't mean much to him. It says, interestingly enough, in Malachi 4, 6, that, that part of what the Messiah will do when he returns, that, that, that as the Old Testament closes in the last verses, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, it says that the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Malachi ends with the promise of a Messiah and the recognition of a father wound. That somehow God will be the one that, that overcomes this wound, that, that, that fills things in for us. We all have imperfect fathers. Some of us have absent fathers. Some of us as single moms are trying to fill in for that father, but only Father God fills the father void. He heals the father's wounds. And in many cases, these are wounds that the father didn't intend to give. They're not wounds that the father uh, knew he gave. It's interesting to me in the movie how uh, young Qatar, uh, one of the questions he deals with is wondering if his father senses him to be a coward. And there's no indication that his father has ever said such a thing. But you know, we as kids can overhear stuff and fill in the gaps for ourselves. He, he might have said as his father learned about the, the loss of his daughter in his grief, his mother might have said, well, well no, he didn't come out of the, the terrarium. He, he would have been killed. And his father in his own hurt and the loss of his, his daughter might have said, well, he could have tried. M- maybe Qatar overheard that. You ever heard, overheard some things your parents have said or... Those who you long for their respect said about you and it, it stuck with you. Chances are it might have been a, a pebble that, cre- that gained momentum in your own heart like a boulder. Maybe you've come to believe things that even if your parents could speak to you from their own heart, they would deny or they would correct or, or they would affirm you though you never really received that affirmation. But God wants all of his children to have a father blessing. He wants to bless us as our father. And to be father blessed means that you're God claimed. Romans 8, 15 and 18 says that our spirit cries out to the spirit of God, Abba, Daddy. We no longer have a spirit of fear imprisoning us again. We've come out of the box. We've come into the embrace of our father. We have an inheritance and we have a heritage. We have an identity that nothing in this world can take away from us. We are God claimed. God claimed as God claimed his own son out of heaven before Jesus did a a thing in ministry. At his baptism, he speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He affirms him before he can do a thing. My father gave me the greatest gift Anyone could give someone, my Father believes in me. So your Heavenly Father does. 
And the statement of that father over each of our baptisms is that same thing. This is my child in whom I'm well pleased. We will be baptizing some today. Though it might not thunder from heaven, God's heart still speaks the same message. This is my child. This is my child. And I'm so pleased that they're mine. Well, as you saw in the earlier clip, his son gets on board with his dad going on a dad's business trip. You know, they're going off to train other rangers and and how to uh, ghost against an Ursa. They're even taking one of those Ursas along with them, specially contained in the spaceship, so that when they get to this other planet where they're going to train, that they can let the Ursa out and and the rangers can learn to ghost like Cypher can. And his son is along on this trip. And in, in this ship is, is that same horrifying animal that took out his sister. And, and they're, they're traveling on their way and they hit an asteroid belt. And in the asteroid belt, their, their ship gets damaged and they, they, they jettison themselves, light speed, into another vector, you know, another place. And then they, they show up, they're close, they're plane is coming, their plane, their ship is coming apart, and, and, and they've got to get down on some planet. What's the nearest planet? They get the, the coordinates for the nearest planet. They set down there only to discover after the fact that the planet they happen to have landed on is the quarantined Earth, after Earth as we know it. And the Ursa that was once contained was in the tail of the ship. The tail of the ship has been uh, separated from the rest of the ship. And they don't know, is the Ursa dead? Is the Ursa loose? Is that thing loose in this world? And as, as, the, plane, as the ship crashes, everyone on the ship perishes except for this father and this son. The father has two broken legs. It's going to be up to the son to go find the beacon in the tail some 70 miles away to trek through this jungle that has become toxic and, and, and uh, a killer evolved to kill off humans. And he must face his own fear. This is the mission as it's depicted now. The emergency beacon you brought me will fire a distress signal deep into space, but it is damaged. There's another one in the tail section of our ship. This is us here. It's the tail somewhere in this area. Approximately 100 kilometers from here. We need that beacon. Do you understand? Both my legs are broken, one very badly. You are going to retrieve that beacon, or we are going to die. Repeat what I just said to you. I have to go retrieve the beacon. Or we're going to die. We have air filtration inhalers. 
fluid will coat your lungs, increasing your oxygen extraction, allowing you to breathe more comfortably in the environment. You have six vials at your weight. That should be 20 to 24 hours each. That's more than enough. Your life suit and backpack are equipped with digital and virtual imaging. So I will be able to see everything that you see and what you do not see. I will guide you. It'd be like I'm right there with you. Like I'm right there with you. As Father blessed people, we're not only God claimed, we're God comforted. Jesus said that he would not leave us orphans, but that he would send the Spirit, another just like himself, that he might be with us, and not only be with us, but be within us, living within us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Romans 8 tells us. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6, um, that's 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6, This God is called the God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. Four verses. That word is used nine times in those four verses. Comforted. uh, Of all comfort. Comforted. that we might comfort others as we ourselves are comforted nine times in four verses. What's up with this word? Parakletos, and it's different in different forms. Parakleton, and, and all, all these are, are saying the same thing. That God is one that's called alongside to help. As, as this young boy goes out on this quest, he's given a communication band. And his father tells him, I'll be able to see everything you see and even what you don't see. And don't worry, son, I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. Now, lots of times when we think of comfort, what we think about is Jesus with the little sheep and cuddles. Just cuddles. Lots of warm cuddles. Comfort. Right? But, but, but that's, that's not to understand this word. Comfort is not just healing, therapeutic comfort. Comfort is, is parakletos. It means fortifying alongside. It, it, it means breathing strength into someone else. That, that, that's, what, that's what this word means. That we might be comforted. That we might be infused with power, with strength, with grit, with endurance, with long-suffering patience, with all the fruits of the Spirit. That we might have a God-like life living in us and through us in all of our human frail circumstances. This overcoming power will be with us and within us and at our side. Not comforted, oh, but comforted. Right? And, and, and as this young boy makes this quest, again and again, he comes up against things that are bigger than he is. He cries out to his father, and his father gives him instruction. He's always there. He's always with him. He's getting him through until there comes a point where that communicator goes bad. And now it's just one way. He doesn't even know if his father's listening, but his father hears everything on the other end. And now the father that was once communicating verbally through that communicator is almost seen to be communicating to him Uh, in some kind of spiritual way. 
I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will guide you. Will he have enough comfort and enough strength that he might come out of that box of fear and become all that he can be? He's still in that box. What will he choose? Here's our next clip. No, that, we, I can do it. I, can, I don't need many. I can get across with just two. You need a minimum of three inhalers to make it to the tail. You have exhausted your resources. I can get across. I can, I can do it with just two, Dad. This mission has reached abort criteria. I take full responsibility. You did your best. You have nothing more to prove. Now return to the ship. What was your mistake? Trusting me? Depending on me thinking that I could do this? Now I'm giving you an order. To turn around and return to this ship. You wouldn't give any other ranger that order. You are not a ranger. And I'm giving you that order. What was I supposed to do? What did you want me to do? She gave me an order. She said no matter what, don't come out of that box. Was I supposed to just come out and die? you should have done because really that is all that matters what do you think you should have done and why were you she called out for you she called your name and you weren't there because you never did and you think I'm a coward you're wrong I'm not a coward you're the coward Not a coward. I know some of you are going to go rent it. Uh, as that scene goes on, and an and eagle comes, this huge eagle, I mean the size of a, of a, a glider plane, uh, comes and, and, and attacks him, it seems. But then he wakes up in the nest of this eagle, only to discover that other predators are coming into the nest now to kill him and the little chicks. He defends the chicks against uh, these tiger-type things. And, and, and the mother eagle realizes that as she saved this one, uh, he's become her savior. And then in the cold of a night, when he would have frozen to death, this eagle pulls him unconscious into a, a, a nesting place and lays her life out, lays her life down, sacrificing her body heat. This huge eagle dies, saving his life. He wakes up the next morning, only to realize then that this eagle was not his enemy. This eagle was his savior, and she has given her life for him. And he's stunned. It's not explained, but from that moment on, Qatar is a different person. 
You see, he's worth that sacrifice. And if he's worth that kind of sacrifice, that not only redefines who he is, that also redefines what's at stake. This is a life and death struggle. Someone has believed in me, even if it's an eagle. Someone has believed in you. Someone has laid down their life for you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And you need to realize that that only says something about you. That you are worthy of that kind of sacrifice. That that's your value. That as God defines you, that is your worth. And no one can take that away from you. But that also doesn't just redefine who you are. It also redefines what's at stake. You now are a part of his life and death mission. And Him living within you can help you fulfill that mission. I'm going to have to cut to the last clip here. And when once you live a life in that kind of relationship with that kind of God, you know what? You, you come out of the box. Hold on just a second. You come out of the box. It's no longer necessary for you to have the validation of anyone else around you. You know why? Because you serve an audience of one. You serve the one who gave himself for you. You now give yourself for him. He defines who you are even before you try. You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter, his princess, his champion forever. And he lives with you, not to test you. Not so you're just doing life for him, but so that you're doing life with him. And someday, when it's all said and done, as it is in this movie... Qatar gets to the end of the plane. He does raise up the the signal and sends word for help. He does overcome the Ursa and overcome his fear. In the end, he is a conqueror, but in the end, all he cares about is dad. They're on the rescue ship now, and he hasn't seen dad yet. He understands that he was near death when he was found, and he, he rushes in to, to see his dad, but as he does, he walks right past one of, those, one of those rangers that he always wanted to be. One of those rangers that he always wanted to salute him someday. And you can see, if you notice it, on the ranger screen, he's just been watching the video of him killing the Ursa. This ranger at that moment seems in awe of this young man who's passing by him. He would stand up and salute, but he's no longer concerned with anyone else's salute. All he cares about is dad, and this is what he sees.
done. Well done. Enter into the joy of your master. This is what awaits those who come out of the box and find that journey with God. Well done. As Stephen dies professing his faith in this God, do you remember what happened? Behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. In heaven, the one who had taken the wounds for us said, Stand me up. Stand me up. Fathers, if you know that, Father, someday that salute will be yours. And until that day, we salute you. Until that day, we encourage you, we honor you. And all of you as God's children, we can decide this day to live for that day. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've given your life for us that we might live our life with you and live our life for you and live our life in your joy eternally. What an incredible, perfect Father you are. The Father we all need. Father, as we sing your praises this morning, would you fill our hearts? Let each of us stand and sing our praises. And as we do, Father, we pray that your Spirit would embrace us as that Father and Son embraced in the end. We thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for your Spirit that guides us day by day as we trust you. Lead us on, O King Eternal. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we praise you. Let's stand.